Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I am O'Brien McMahon, and this is People Business. In this episode, I'm joined by Rena Consul. Rena is the Chief Operating Officer and a Story Facilitator at Leadership Story Lab. I'm going to let Rena introduce herself at the beginning of the conversation because she's a storyteller and she's going to do it in a much better way than I could hear in this introduction. What I will say is this is a fantastic conversation around business storytelling. There's so much talk now about the power of story, but everybody still is unsure how it applies in a business setting, how to use it in their business setting. And what we actually mean when we talk about storytelling, we've dive into that all here in this conversation. And Rena has some great tips for people in how to build stories out in a variety of business contexts. I hope you enjoy it. I hope it helps you tell better stories. Here is Rena Consul. Rena, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, O'Brien, for having me today. It's nice to reconnect with you. I know we've known each other for a little while now and talked storytelling a few times. Uh, this is one of my favorite topics, so excited to dive in. And I guess we'll just start at the beginning with what is Leadership Story Lab and you know who are you there and, and what kind of work do you do? Yeah, so we've been around uh, doing storytelling before it was the cool new leadership skill that everyone wanted to master. Since 2010, we've coached leaders and teams in storytelling to help them become more engaging and persuasive in their communication and oftentimes help them gain that competitive edge. And then through coaching and training, we've helped leaders get promoted, excel in their jobs, and motivate their teams and clients through storytelling. I have been the chief operating officer of Leadership Story Lab, as well as a story facilitator, and really have seen, you know, storytelling as a way to really connect with others on a more meaningful level and have more of those engaging conversations with each other. And what was it like? What what was that catalyst that made storytelling sexy? Like, when did that happen, and why did people start clamoring for this? I'd say we've seen it progressively become sexy over the last decade, and I, I think it goes back to humans really have that need to connect and to relate to one another, and especially with the pandemic. Um, that need is still there and we still crave that connection and storytelling is a great way to really relate and start that meaningful dialogue and that conversation. And we've also seen that we use a lot of information. We're inundated by data in the workplace every day. And so storytelling is one way to create meaning out of that data and make it more memorable as well. And so how do you define story or storytelling? I think that might sound like a dumb question, but, uh, you know, it's something that is hard for some people to pin down. So what are your definitions for either or both of those words? Yeah. So you might have heard like logic makes you think, but emotion makes you act. And so business storytelling, how we define it is the strategic sequencing between the facts and the emotion. So that you are persuading your audience to then take some form of action. Because that's why we have business storytelling. Our whole purpose is to persuade our audience then after listening to our message, our presentation, our story, to come on board with, say, a new initiative to create that 
change we want to see, or even if you're asking your manager for some additional resources for a new initiative, how do I then persuade my audience to take that next step with me? And so we might be jumping ahead here, but I just, I like that, (laughs) you know, emotions make you act and, and your job is to sequence the facts and emotions so that people take some kind of action. How do you do that? Like, what are, what are the elements of story that cause people to take action? Like, what are the, what are the key pieces that they should be looking for or thinking about that are, that drive action? Yeah. So we always, so my, my founder and partner, Esther Choi of Leadership Story Lab, she was having this conversation with a former CMO of a large airline company. And, you know, he had to sit in through a lot of meetings, a lot of data, and he had one guideline. He said, you know, I will accept any meeting that comes my way as long as you answer two questions. First question being, why should I care? And the second question being, what do you want me to do about this? And I feel like that is a great place to start as thinking about your audience and why they should care about what you're sharing. And then more importantly, then to persuade them to take action is what do you want them to do now that they've heard this? All right. So I like that. And then I, I think we'll unpack that a little bit more as we go, because even the why should I care? I think the why should I care point dives in more to the emotion. The what do you want me to do? That can be fact-based and and off-putting if said in the wrong way, right? People don't like to be told what to do. But I think the two combined, I think people need to maybe not feel that you want them to do something, but they at least have to see the path forward, right? They have to see the next action forward that they can take based on whether or not you get them to care. So we'll talk a little bit about how we unpack that and do that. But Let's start on the other side. What are the misconceptions that people have about storytelling at work or this type of business storytelling? Yeah, the most common is that I don't see others doing it. Is it okay for me to share stories in the workplace where we have to be more professional in nature? But in reality, your stories can still be professional in nature. We have a rule of thumb that your stories share something that's personal, but not private, and that can still be accepted in a professional business setting, for example. And the other thing is, once they give it a try, they really see how many doors that it opens, how you are able to instantly create that trust and that connection with others. And it's more memorable and sticky than just sharing your facts. You know, lots of times, especially we see this in introductions, is we tend to share our where we went to school, our our credentials and our qualifications, what we've done, what companies we worked for. But in reality, if we share something that's meaningful to us, that might actually be more memorable and create that conversation in a more effective and faster manner than just sharing the facts. So what might that look like? Let's talk about an introduction, right? That's I like, I think examples are good. We're talking about storytelling. So let's tell some stories. If we're going around the table and we're saying, Hey, introduce yourselves. Like what's a better example that you've heard or you've used than somebody just saying, you know, hi, I'm O'Brien. 
I've been at Lockton for 13 plus years and I went to school at Miami of Ohio and I grew up in the Northeast. Yeah, sure. So I, using me as an example, I love to say that I strive in environments of structured creativity. And you can see that I'm an engineer by background, but it really comes to play when you come into my kitchen and you open my cabinets or my refrigerator. Everything is neatly organized so that I can effectively pull together quick meals for my family. And that creativity comes into play because it's everything structured and I can find things easily. I actually don't like following recipes. I sprinkle a little bit of this and a little bit of that, but that structure gives me that space to be creative. And that same is true in my work as well at Leadership Story Lab, because I help my clients uncover their creativity, but give them a process to follow so that they can then articulate who they are, why they're doing what they do in a compelling narrative so that they can really relate to their audiences. That was very well done. You should teach this stuff. <laughs> and so that way it gives you it gives you an opportunity to, yes, blend in the facts that you need to share, but in a way that's more engaging than what you would normally hear. Yeah. And we get a lot about you just from that short introduction, not only your working style, but we get your, so we get your working style. We get your education background. We get your family that you have a family, right. And some personal life stuff there. We also get some hobbies from you and a little bit about your temperament. So yeah, there's a lot packed into that little description. Yeah. And then short. Yeah. So, so it's short. So I was, I wanted to go there eventually too, and we'll take the segue. So I think a misconception that I see people having too, is that stories are long and that people have a very short amount of time to be communicating information and it's only getting shorter. So how should people think about story length? Is it, is it about, is it about the length of the story or are there other elements that we should be more focused on? Yeah. So regarding length, it, again, it depends on your audience. But where I think the misconception comes into play is that people don't have that attention span. But in reality, for you as a storyteller, your primary job is to then is to hook your audience in the beginning of your story. If you properly hook their attention, grab their attention, they will then listen. To the rest of your story it's they might even say hey you know i would love to hear more let's schedule a, a follow-up coffee chat or hey come with me walk me to the next meeting so we can finish this conversation but it's all about being able to engage your audience in the beginning of your story correctly well and so i that's funny because right when you when you told your introduction and you said the best way to understand me is to understand my kitchen and my refrigerator. I immediately was like, okay, tell me, like, how? Tell me why. You know, like, I was actually thinking that question in my head and I knew you were going to go on. So I let you go on. But I would have asked that question had you had this been a conversation and you just ended it there because I was like, okay, yeah, I'm intrigued. Like, tell me more about that. So, what makes a good hook? Yeah. So, the hook, sure, there's different ways of looking at it. 
One of the frameworks that we use in the book that Leadership Story Lab's founder, Astro Choi, published, which is called Let the Story Do the Work, is the three C's. So having a conflict, a contrast, or a contradiction in the beginning. And you could have one, you could have multiple, you can call it however you want. But if you don't have a good hook already, this is another way of looking at it. So a conflict is any two opposing forces. It doesn't have to be life-threatening at all. It could be even something simple as I was sharing with my daughter, you know, your friends saying, hey, let's hang out after school. And you know you have a big project to do tomorrow. Conflict. Contrast is any two opposing qualities next to each other. So sharing something like, you know, I grew up in a small farming town in central Illinois, and then I moved to New York City, one of the largest cities in the country. Contrast. And contradiction is anything that goes against your audience's expectations. So maybe for you, O'Brien, me talking about my kitchen cabinets and my fridge is out of the ordinary for you and not something that you would expect me to talk about today. And so I'm contrasting your expectation. Yeah, you're talking about how engineering and your kitchen are going to lead to you being a good storytelling facilitator. Yes. So you can use conflict, contrast, or contradiction as a way to grab your audience's attention in the beginning of your story. Interesting. We'll unpack length a little bit later too, because I have some specific questions there, but let's get into other elements of storytelling. So we ha- we're talking about the hook. What are the other important elements that make up a story? Yeah. So we like to use a framework called IRS. It's not stand for the internal revenue services that many of us here in the US relate to that acronym with. But it stands for intriguing beginning, a riveting middle, and a satisfying ending. And so your intriguing beginning is where you know you set the scene and you share some key facts and figures or information. But like we were just chatting about, your main goal in the beginning is to hook your audience's attention. Then from there, your riveting middle That is where you're sharing the challenge and the change. But more importantly, you're translating that information into meaning. What does it mean to me? And then more importantly, what does it mean for my audience? And then you're ending with your satisfying end is, yes, your final resolution, but especially in a business storytelling context, what do I want my audience to take away? What action do I want my audience to take? And so if you break up the components of intriguing beginning, riveting middle, and a satisfying end, you now have the structure for a good story. And that could be three sentences. It can be three sentences, yes. You can use it in emails. You can use it in your presentation. You can use it in, you know, chatting with a colleague about your weekend, for example. And it applies in, you know, books, movies, commercials wherever you see stories. Well, I enjoy writing fiction as a hobby. And I mean, that's that's de- in any form of fiction, especially like novels and that kind of a thing. You know, those are the three elements of any good story. So that makes sense. 
What about the type of language we're using in the story? Is there anything in particular that we want to be keeping in mind about the, the types of language that we use? Can you tell me more about what you mean by language? Well, it's a leading question that could have led you to two ways. So on the one, and you, I'll, I'll give you both and you can kind of pick which one you want to dive into. So on the one hand, I think words are important. And so word choice is important. And I'd be interested to get your thoughts on how we think about word choice. On the other hand, I've done some other interviews on here talking about storytelling. And one of the things that came up in a past conversation that I really liked is it's not necessarily about the full arching story, but but there are pieces that you can pull out of storytelling like metaphor, simile, you know, those those communication techniques that get our brains to do something to see an image or feel a, a feeling that if you can just start to work those in that they can, you know, they can help get you down this path to storytelling, or at least get you to that emotions, make you act outcome a, a little bit faster versus having to focus on being able to weave a full complex narrative together. So I'd be curious kind of what you think on either of those, like the stylistic tools that you have or the actual specific word choice and, and how you think about word choice. Yeah, definitely. So around language, definitely being able to help your audience visualize a scene, a setting definitely makes it more relatable. Using more sensory language is one way of helping them be there in that scene with you. We've seen many times people will start recounting events. So sharing in chronological order what they're doing, whether it's, you know, we had this hypothesis on this analysis, and then we went and tested it out, and then we collected the data, and then this is what we thought. So that's recounting events. That's not storytelling. What often with that language and that choice is instead start someone in the middle of a scene a middle of what was happening and why it was happening. And that oftentimes pulls people in. Um, Do you have an example of that? So for example, recently I was working with a client who was sharing their evolution of their visual brand with their team. And so they started off by saying, you know, hey, these are all the cool new visual tools that are coming out. And it's a lot of information. But then working with us and thinking about it from a storytelling lens, they took a step back and said, you know what, we need to first start by sharing why visuals are so important. Visuals actually take up, I think, more than 50% of our brain capacity. And so visuals play a big role in our connection and how we interpret the world. And so sharing that and then talking about the journey that their visual identity has gone through first shares that why component and gets their audience engaged and excited about where they're going to go forward. So they restructured their presentation using the IRS model to then engage and then persuade their team and share how now to use this new visual brand and the assets that come along with it. I don't know. Does that help? It does. It does. And so I had interrupted you. We were talking about some of the different techniques and you had said, starting in the middle, you had said creating imagery. Are there any other techniques 
that are out there from a toolbox standpoint? Yeah, so we also do, we use visuals. And sometimes even the simplest visuals in meetings can be very powerful. It's a way to bring people in, sometimes even contradict your audience's expectation. But it also engages your audience because when you draw something on the board, they have something tangible that they can point to and say, hey, yes, I agree with this. Or, hey, what about we add these elements in there as well? And so there's that visual component as well with drawing along with your story. You said, you know, simple drawings can be effective. I think oftentimes the simplest drawings are the most effective. I've been reading as nerdy as this might be, I read a book on data visualization mm-hmm. and and then I read another book by the founders of Axios that we'll talk about again in a little bit. But in part of that, this book's called Smart Brevity and the data visualization one is called Good Charts. If anybody's interested, we'll link those in the show notes. But they both talked about simplicity in messaging. And if if somebody can just really quickly and simply see what you're trying to say in some sort of illustration, whether it's an actual chart or graph or some other image that conjures up an analogy to what you're talking about, that the simplicity of it gets it to land in a more impactful way than them having to interpret a chart or interpret a visual in some way. Yeah, I agree. It's a great way to simplify some complex information. Even just lines and circles can get you really far. And actually in the book, Let the Story Do the Work, there's a whole chapter on visuals. Oh, perfect. Simple visuals. Yeah. Perfect. And we will link that in the show notes as well, obviously. Okay. Any other tools you want to touch on before we go over to word choice? So in in relationship to our conversation on brevity, And going back to that time restriction, you know, we talked about when you share a story, you share it with your intriguing beginning, your riveting middle, and your satisfying end. Now, what if you don't have enough time with your audience? One rule of thumb of what you can try is share your beginning and your end. Because if you've captured their attention, they're going to come and find you for the middle stuff, the hows. Tell me all the data. Tell me why. So if you don't have a lot of time, just do the beginning and the end, and then they will come after you for the middle. They're interested. And I love that. So we'll just go right to this the Smart Brevity book now, because that is essentially the model that they've picked up. So it was the, that book's written by the founders of Axios, which is the news outlet. And they basically pioneered the newsletter email format where you get a daily or weekly email. It's got five to seven stories and each story takes 45 seconds to 90 seconds to read and it's, you know, bulleted out. And that that's the argument that they're making is that people don't have the time to consume hardly anything in long format anymore. And so what they really want is they want to know why should they care? (laughs) You know, they want to know the hook and then why they should care and what they should do. And then if they want to, they can then read further or click in their case, you know, in the news, uh, the newsletters they send out every day, you can click into a link to get to a longer form article. So you can, you can seek out the middle 
if you want, but all they've been giving their clients and they're hugely successful, all they've been giving their clients, their readers, subscribers is here's the hook and here's the, the satisfying ending, the why you should care. Yeah. 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 Agree. That's a, a, a trick that we've been using too with our clients for, for many years. I'm glad to see it in other mediums as well. And then to your point earlier, you know, even if it's just be, or I guess just because it's short doesn't mean you can't still use some of these other techniques that we've been talking about. You know, you can still and should still create visual imagery with the words that you're using. You should still think about having a simple image that goes along with whatever that short bit of content is like all those things still apply, right? Yes, correct. Okay. So let, let's move on to word choice then. Is How important is it? How do you think about it? How do you coach clients through it? So our goal, we focus more on that interpersonal storytelling, more oral-based, because I know stories are written differently, whether it's to be consumed by the ears versus the eyes. And so that makes a difference on what word choice you choose as well. Tell me more about the differences. So I am not an English background or a linguist by any means, but we have others on our team that are very good at doing this. And so picking up on different cadences, rhythms, alliterations can vary based on if it's for oral presentation or written presentation. And a lot of our work, though, is based on the oral presentation. And many of the clients we work with are similar to me that have no background in storytelling or English. And so we focus a lot of our energy in helping them uncover story ideas, because a lot of times we dismiss that, hey, I have not discovered the next hot Google, or I didn't climb Mount Kilimanjaro. I am not very interesting. But in reality, we all have many wonderful stories to tell. We just need some time to uncover them. And so we help them uncover those stories and then give them this framework and structure of, okay, now how do you craft these ideas into compelling narratives using these different components like what we mentioned about Hook? It's more about sequencing the different information so that it follows that near, that story arc for them. And so I think level, the advanced level then is then, okay, now I have my story arc and my components. Now let me think about word choice and language and imagery, if that helps. No, it does. It does for sure. And I just... I think word choice, it's sort of a, I don't know, passion is too much of a word, but it's its something that I key into or pay attention to because I just know that, in, especially in English, we have so many words that can mean versions of the same thing that there are certain words that create negative images in somebody's head and there are certain words that create positive images in somebody's head and so just being aware of the connotations behind the words that we're using i I think can be important and it's it's really easy to just 
come up with whatever the story is and you just say it the first way that it comes out of your mouth or the first way that it comes out of your fingers on the keyboard. And I think it's important, especially if we have the time to be editing stories, to be paying attention to what some of those words are and, and are they negative or not? You know, are we talking about are we talking about executing the deal when we're trying to really create partnership with somebody and, you know, close a new business opportunity? Or are we talking about sealing our partnership? You know, like things like that can matter. And you might think like, well, I mean, okay, fine. But like people do say execute the deal. Well, sure. But you don't want to, I don't know. I just think the more positive impressions you can be giving, the more it makes everything easier. It's not like you're going to get a deal or not going to get a deal because you say execute. But can, you know, is it if you are talking like, if you are talking in a more positive way all of the time, does that just make all of the interactions better, make it smoother process to get there? Yeah. And that goes back to that emotion part, right? So when we give feedback on stories, we ask these two questions. One is what really stood out or stuck with you? What was memorable from that story? And I think that's an opportunity where you can say, yes, that executed really stood stayed with me and that's that's what stood out and then the other question we ask is how did my story make you feel and so knowing the response from your audience to those two can really help you refine your story to take it to the next iteration and like you mentioned o'brien it's not a one and done deal storytelling is an iterative iterative process where you are asking for feedback and then revising it until you get that intended intention and impact that you are looking for. Yeah. And I think word choice can help create imagery, but I also think it creates the feeling. I think that's probably more where people would, where that feedback would surface. They can't quite articulate why, but it just, you know, they like story A versus story B. And, but it just makes them feel a little bit better, even though it's kind of the same story. But it's the word choice that people are using that puts them in a more positive mood or a positive emotional state. And so I think that's one of those things that like you could easily scoff at. Like nobody's going to remember those little things from your story. They're going to remember the visuals and the other things. But it it can kind of set a tone, I think. I think you can tell yes, me I'm wrong. I think it does. And it, it does make a difference, but I think it's like advanced storytelling, the way we teach it. So you're already an advanced storyteller, Brian, as a fiction writer. All right. Well, we'll, we'll back down to, let's go all the way back to the beginning then. Somebody's goes, you know, okay, this is great. We've got however long we've been recording, 30 minutes of tips and, and stylistic things that we can be paying attention to here. We, we've built a little bit of a tool bag. How do we start practicing this stuff? Life is so busy. You know, how do we start getting the reps in to actually become better at this skill? Let's share three things. The first is even the story about you is not really about you. It's about your audience. So anytime you're getting ready to share a presentation or meeting, start thinking about your audience first. And I think goes back to those two questions of why should my audience care? And then what do I want them to do about? And that can be embedded in anything that you do. The other thing to become a better storyteller is 
listening. Good storytellers spend a lot of time story, collecting stories and listening to other people's stories. And so that's something I think most of us already do. It's just more being more aware of doing it. And a great way I know, O'Brien, you're the one who introduced me to the table topics game. It's asking crazy, we call them crazy good questions that give others some space to then open up and share their stories with you. I love that. And anyone who hasn't used table topics, that's a great, uh, it's a great conversation starter for dinner parties. That's so funny. Talk about things that you do or say, and then you, they just go off and you never think about them again. You don't know what impact they have. That's so funny that I was the one that introduced you to that. Yeah. And you so that it. really stuck with me, Brian, yeah, from a couple of years funny. ago. And so those, those questions are a great way to start good conversation, whether it is at a dinner party or with your team at work and a great way for you to then start collecting stories, your own and others. And then while you're collecting stories, you can notice some patterns and some themes of, okay, that was a really good story. Why did it work so well? And why did another story maybe not work so well? And now when I'm trying to create my own story, what elements do I use? My word choice, for example, the visuals, the sensory imagery that I want to use in my story. And then the third thing I would say to practice being a good storyteller is use that IRS method. How do I create an intriguing beginning to really capture the attention of my audience? What is my middle? What does that mean for them? What's that change and challenge that I've gone through? And then that satisfying ending is what do I want my audience to take away? And IRS can be used even in emails and presentations, even updating your manager for a project. I know I recently sent a client an email asking about how the holidays were, how winter break went, and he responded using IRS. Short in one sentence, he shared with me, my laptop went to sleep. I didn't open it for two weeks and spent time in my favorite coffee shop. Now I'm back at work with some new focus for the year. In an email, he shared with me basically what he did for the last, you know, two, three weeks and where he's going. And I already had questions for him on, well, tell me more. Yeah. And that makes you I, talk about giving somebody a feeling like that definitely gives you the feeling of what he did for the last two weeks. You know, like that just that that conveys a whole mood in those two sentences. Yeah. I love your advice about paying attention and critiquing the stories that you hear because I'm kicking myself now, but when I was when I was working on a long form novel, I was trying to learn as much as I could about writing. And so I went back to two of my favorite books, one of which being Harry Potter and my full nerds coming out today, which is fine. I went back just to the the first one, The Sorcerer's Stone, and I took I had read it before and I took out a pen and I started every time I was like feeling a certain way. I try to figure out why I was feeling that way. And I wound up having, I did it with that book and another, and I wound up having some really great realizations. Like for instance, is one of the things that I think people love about the Harry Potter series is that they have such strong emotions around the characters. 
you really get a sense for they're good, they're bad, they're icky, you know, they make you feel creep creeped out, whatever it is. Like they're you they just elicit such a strong feeling. And one of the things I noticed in reading that book is that she never tells you how you should feel, but she almost always introduces a character by having somebody else pass a judgment on them. So either she does it before you meet them or she does it right when you meet them. But like somebody has heard of or knows the person that she's introducing and you can tell by their reaction how you should feel about them. And it's that it's it's being able to take somebody that you tr- already trust in the story and then and then seeing how they feel. It, it creates such a, a much stronger emotion in you for how you should feel. So like that was one thing I learned from that. But the thing I'm kicking myself for is you can absolutely do that with somebody who's giving you a great spoken word presentation or who's communicating really good feedback. And I think that's a great exercise is when when you see somebody who's speaking and you feel captivated to actually say like, okay, what did that person just say? How did they just do that? And being a student of that game in a in a more meaningful way. So that that's a great takeaway for me. I think that's just a great exercise for people. It's a little hard in the moment because you do get so swept up sometimes, but to go back and say, you know, okay, what just happened there? Or if it's your boss or somebody like that, be like, hey, I like what you just said. T- say that again. Like, how did you do that? Well, you know, what was that story again? And try to dissect it that way. No, I love that example, Brian. Thank you so much for sharing. It does because you've already created that trust with someone else, right? And so how they feel influences and persuades how you feel. And that might impact what you do next. And you also inspired me to go back and read Harry Potter with that new lens in mind. (laughs) (laughs) uh, I'm just waiting until my two boys get a little bit older so I can really read the whole thing again with them. Yeah, we just did all seven books together. (laughs) Fantastic. Well, so then, yeah. So going back and reading one of them would be interesting then because you've just read it and enjoyed it. Now, now going back and trying to pick it apart would be interesting. Yeah. I didn't think about it from that one. So thank you for sharing. So as people get into this work, going back to the, to the practicing, as people get into this work, what surprises them the most, either in a good way or maybe a negative way, like something that was harder than they thought it was or something, a reaction they get that they didn't expect? What what surprises people? I think initially, yes, it is hard to break out of normal patterns. So it does take some effort to start sharing stories and feeling comfortable sharing stories and knowing when it's the right time to share stories. But once you repeatedly do it and practice and feel more comfortable, then it's more natural. And then you see the impact that it really has. You can build trust quicker, faster, are more relatable and memorable. And you can see others sharing as well and starting to see storytelling be part of the culture that you weave together. We've had clients now that will start, for example, every team meeting with a story or every team meeting with one of those crazy good questions so that it gives the team an opportunity to open up and share with each other as well as practice sharing, whether it's a customer story or an internal success story, or it could be more personal in nature of, you know, maybe professional development that they've been going through. But 
you start seeing and embedding that into who you are and the fabric of your team and organization. So it does take practice and it takes time. Yeah. yeah. Do you see people overdoing it in the beginning? Like, and what I mean by that is I could see a scenario, like you said, we have people, clients now who start every meeting with a story. That's great. If that story has a purpose versus just saying, oh, I just need to tell more stories. I need to tell more personal stories. So I'm going to open this meeting and I'm going to tell them about the fact that my dog needed surgery this weekend and the fact that I took care of them and blah, blah, blah. And then I'm going to jump into a meeting talking about my budget. But, you know, where like one has nothing to do with the other, but hey, I told a story and it had some good visuals and people can relate to the difficult weekend I had. Like, do you see people do that? I could see that happening. I haven't seen that as much, but yes, I agree with you that it has to be stories with purpose and connected to a common theme or goal that you have in mind for that meeting. So for example, one client was about to share 40 years of history to in preparation of a budget preparation type meeting. And so, yes, he could have started 40 years ago. Hey, this is where we were. This is what we did. But instead, he then started with, hey, 40 years ago, I was playing Little League Baseball on a diamond. And he related some baseball stats and metaphors with what was going on with the organization at that time 40 years ago. And so it was a great way to, again, help their audience connect to something that's more simple, but then elevate it to a more complex concept that they were dealing with with work. So yes, it has to be purposeful. And sure, if they want to share stories about their dog, there's a time and place for that. But again, it goes back to knowing your audience and thinking about, again, why is it important to them? And what do I need to share with them along that lines? So my next question, the answer to this question may just be, just take the time and do the work. But I'm curious if you have any exercises that help people build analogies or metaphors. We do have some exercises to help build metaphors and analogies. And we've also done it with a smaller group, more brainstorming. So throwing out, you know, what would be a complex concept, for example, and then having others kind of replay that back with you as what does that mean? How does it feel? Is this how you describe it? And then we have some other exercises that we've done. Let me dig through and see if I have any articles or anything I could share on that as well. I'll have to come back to you on that. Awesome. Fantastic. I appreciate that. When it comes to these topics, when it comes to the topic of storytelling, what are you sick of talking about? That's a good question. I couldn't come up with anything I was really sick about talking about. I always, I'm an introvert by nature. And so I love asking others questions so that I can listen and hear. And that always gets me excited. So I don't get sick about anything, I guess, so far that I could think of. What What do you get most excited about then in the work? I love uncovering who everyone is and why they're doing it. We call it character. 
So uncovering people's character and then helping them articulate their character in a manner that's meaningful for them, but also seems comfortable and confident for them to share as part of their leadership narrative. What does that exercise look like? There's a few different ways we do that. But again, it starts with me listening and asking good questions and I'm helping. It's part of something that, you know, Esther Choi has designed, but it's helping uncover your story ideas and then seeing different themes that come out of those exercises. We, a leadership development group that I'm a part of, we actually, it's called Built to Lead and it talks about leaders being builders of other people in the organization. And so they call it build. They, there's a lot around building and they talk about writing your builder's journey and actually writing out where, go back as far as you want, but you know, how did you get from where you were to where you are today? What were the pivotal moments where those happened? And then what they do, what they ask you to do is to go back to those pivotal moments and say, what beliefs were forged in those moments or what passions of yours or what principles of yours were forged in those moments. So then you can go back and you can actually use in, in this case, I don't think they use it this way, but in this case for you, you know, that you could use those stories when communicating those types of beliefs or principles, or when talking about conversations that have those beliefs or principles. And so their whole thing is the more you get to know yourself, the more confident and comfortably you can be in the world because you know you know what you believe you, you know how you should act in every situation and so I, f- I found that exercise to be really helpful yeah we have one that's also around your hobbies and when you go through the process you uncover that maybe some of the strengths and why you're drawn to this hobby is very similar to what draws you to your role your professional career and you see similarities and it goes down to, you know, who you are and again, your, your true character. Yeah. Well, that's, it's kind of, um, it's like Simon Sinek's start with why, right? Like that's kind of what he's saying in that book is to figure out where you want to go, turn around and look at where you've been and try to figure out what are the threads, what are the storylines or narratives or themes that are running through all of the things that you've done most successfully or or that you've enjoyed the most and then turn back around to face into the future and how do you continue those threads in a more meaningful way yeah yeah exactly yeah that rings true for me i think as i've done the the personal reflective work over the last several years every time i go back and kind of rinse it i get a little bit clearer a little bit clearer and i can see that really it's not 10 different paths, even though I have a huge amount of hobbies, too much, and I do a lot of things professionally and personally, it really all kind of boils down to the same two or three through lines. No, it's great. You had the opportunity to do that and reflect on your journey. Yeah. I've, I've been lucky enough to have had a lot of good coaching throughout my career so far. Let's say people are still listening and they're like, this is great. I love this. I appreciate all your tips, Rena, but I need some help. I want to bring somebody in to like help me polish this up, or I want to bring somebody in to talk to my team because I think we could really use this. Where do they find you? How do they engage with you? What's that process look like? 
Sure, you can find us at leadershipstorylab.com. Happy to chat more. We do offer coaching and training as well as consulting services to help shape, teach, train you, and give you the tools to use storytelling in your business communication. I definitely check out the book, Let the Story Do the Work. And then we also, as a great place to start, um, we do something called Story Lab periodically. And it is a coaching session that's complimentary where you come with your story, share your story and get constructive feedback on your story from one of our facilitators. So it's a great place to start practicing your skill and helping you elevate it to the next level. So hope to see you there. Fantastic. Well, we will link to all of that as well. Got a lot that we talked about today. Rena, I really appreciate you coming on the show. It's great to see you again and it's fun to be able to dive deeper into all of this stuff. I, I really, I got to go back and listen to it as well because I like what you're talking about. I, I like the way you framed it in the very beginning around, you know, facts make people think, emotions make people act, and how it work can we be bringing more emotion and bringing more action to the types of communications that we're using. So, thank you. Yeah, thank you, O'Brien. Hey folks, one last thing before you go. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure to hit subscribe so you can stay up to date with future guests. That's it. Thanks for coming. Go make the most of your business and the people in it.